now, here is Walter Bingham. Hello and welcome to the program for August 1st, 2023, the 14th of Av, 5783, in the Hebrew calendar. It's just a few days after Tisha B'Av, that's the 9th of Av, the saddest day in the Hebrew calendar. On that day, we mourned the destruction of the Second Temple by the Roman legions under Emperor Titus, in the year 70 of the Common Era, and also that of the First Temple in 586 before the Common Era by Nebuchadnezzar, the King of Babylon, when he conquered Jerusalem. We also remember other major tragedies that happened to Am Israel, the Jewish people, throughout our history. The expulsion of Jews from England took place on July 18th, 2090, the 9th of Av. The Jews were expelled from France on July 22nd in 1306, which was on the 10th of Av, and we were expelled from Spain on July 31st in 1492, which was the 7th of Av. World War I started on the 5th of Av in 1914. On the 8th of Av, 1941, Hermann Göring Marchemeux signed the document to set in motion the final solution, the systematic extermination policy of all Jews. Tisha B'Av was also the day on which the destruction of the Warsaw Ghetto began, with the first trainload of Jews from the ghetto to the Treblinka extermination camp. I could list still several more events that took place within three days of Tisha B'Av that negatively affected the Jewish people. This clearly shows that Hashem has chosen, and we don't know why, those days for some of the worst Jewish suffering. But today, when we witness the rebuilding of Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, we realize that whatever happened in the past, we mourn for the external parts, but that the internal part, the soul of Am Yisrael, our connection with Hashem, can never be eradicated. That's why we say Am Yisrael Chai. In this connection, it's important to talk about the events of the Shoah, the Holocaust, this most recent atrocity, committed against the Jewish people. To this day, there are still survivors, witnesses to those horrors, and it is our duty to teach future generations what happened to their family members, those who survived, and those who were murdered, Al-Kiddush Hashem, in sanctifying the Lord our God. The State of Israel is committed to care for the welfare of all Holocaust survivors. The youngest of them are now in their 80s, and many local authorities have special departments to ensure their comfort in old age. As I said in my last program, that's why Israel also has more voluntary organizations per capita that care for the elderly than any other country. 
If you are a regular listener to the Walter Bingham file, you will know that this program is very conscious of the effect of loneliness and always ends with an appeal to care for the elderly. I would be interested if it has motivated you to take some action. Please write to walter at israelnewstalkradio.com where you will always get my personal reply or you can leave a comment at the designated place or page of our website. But Israel is a country of paradoxes. Whereas on the one hand we take good care of the elderly, but if any of them, even in their 60s, would still like to take a job to keep active, they will come up against an ageist attitude. There seems to be either young or old, either black or white. There is no grey area where the young could learn something from the experienced and the older could gain knowledge of the new technology in their field. It actually happened to me. Admittedly, I was 80 at the time when the state radio station Colisael's English section turned me down because I was too old. Now it is almost 20 years later and I'm still regularly broadcasting and hopefully with clarity. But despite all that, I love my country, Israel, although that is not its only fault. Sometimes sections of our citizens act as if they are determined to self-destruct. Today we are experiencing just such a time. I don't often prepare my show very early in the week other than conducting the interviews. But so much is happening in Israel that will affect our life today and in the future that I have to make notes almost by the hour. As I prepare this section of the program, it's Monday the 24th of July and one of the most consequential laws for our country has just been decided by the 120 members of Knesset, our legislature. It is the day on which once again more than 100,000 of our citizens will demonstrate in the streets of our cities to show their concern to maintain Israel as a democratic state. But what constitutes democracy in the context of decision-making? And in this, the country is divided. For months now, there have been almost daily demonstrations against the policies of our present government that is trying to curb the powers of the Supreme Court, which is able to cancel any legislation that it considers unreasonable, and this is the bone of contention. Half the country supports the government's position, and as the demonstrations show, hundreds of thousands sincerely believe that the government usurps democracy. It is not clear, however, what group organizes their demonstrations. I shall here briefly examine the pros and cons of this new legislation that has aroused the passions of so many of our mainly younger and impressionable youth. It is the controversial bill that limits the ability of Israel's High Court to review the reasonableness of government decisions. The court is made up of 15 unelected judges 
who had the ability to overturn legislation enacted by our 120 members of Knesset, Israel's parliament, if they considered it unreasonable. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes unreasonable as, and I quote, not governed by or acting according to reason. This, of course, is highly subjective. Some would consider, if I slap my child, as child abuse. Others would call it reasonable parental authority. In its decisions on legislation, the Supreme Court has applied inductive reasoning, taking observations that are specific and limited in scope, and proceeds to a generalized conclusion that is likely but not certain in light of accumulated evidence, moving from the specific to the general. Conclusions reached by the inductive method are not logical necessities. No amount of inductive evidence guarantees the conclusion. This is because there is no way to know that all the possible evidence has been gathered and that there exists no further bit of unobserved evidence that might invalidate their hypothesis. While the media might report the conclusions as absolute, more cautious language is required for inductively reached, probable conclusions. All this philosophical language simply means that the concept of reasonableness, as was used by the court, is imprecise and not safe on which to base conclusions. Quite apart from the accepted practice of separation of the powers of the three constituents of government. The argument for the necessity of a body to exercise checks and balances is a fair one, but that cannot be left to 15 unelected lawyers. Unfortunately, we have no written constitution, just a hotspotch of basic laws that can be amended by Knesset with a majority of 61. Not a situation that ensures good government. Dealing with the anti-government demonstrators first, it is apparent that different interest groups have welcomed the opportunity to infiltrate and sway these highly emotional and therefore easily influenced masses into what only can be described as hysteria, making the opponents of government policy devoid of critical judgment. Why else would someone who is demonstrating for a legitimate cause burn tires in city centres, block main traffic arteries and highways that causes damage to the economy and inconvenience to ordinary citizens going about their daily business? I respect anyone who peacefully takes part in anti-government demonstrations and will accept anyone whose sexual orientation is different from mine and who takes part, but by waving rainbow flags, they demonstrate that they are intent to promote their LGBT agenda rather than their sincere view about the legislation. There are, of course, tens of thousands of concerned citizens on both sides of the divide who want to demonstrate peacefully to express their sincere view without malice. 
That has been beautifully demonstrated during the week at the Yitzhak Navon railway station in Jerusalem. While the down escalator carried noisy anti-government demonstrators with their flags traveling to Tel Aviv, the up escalator brought flag-carrying and boisterous government supporters to Jerusalem. You might wonder what's so unusual. Well, as they passed each other on the point of being level on the escalator, many of the opponents reached across for that brief handshake, proving that political disagreement can be conducted in a peaceful and friendly atmosphere because in the last resort, except for the anarchists and troublemakers, we are all one people with one country, as the song Ainli Eretz Acheret, I have no other country, so aptly describes. I have not forgotten to comment about the vociferous and equally noisy government supporters. I believe that they are more pure in their composition without professional troublemakers, anarchists or extraneous interest groups. Unlike the organizers of the anti-government demonstrations, they publicly declare that their demonstrations are organized by the Sovereignty Movement, an NGO that advocates for this government's policy and campaigns that the promised legislation about the extension of Israeli sovereignty over the Jordan Valley and Area C of Judea and Samaria should now be enacted. It is significant that the international mainstream media only concentrates and comments on the anti-government protests and likes to screen close-up footage of clashes between demonstrators and police. It is the communications media, the press, TV and radio, that by their biased reporting support unruly behaviour. Gone are the days of honest reporting of facts. As a seasoned journalist, I deeply regret that those conditions also forces me to express an opinion in order to counteract what I consider to be distorted presentations. I would much rather concentrate on interesting interviews, book reviews and even travel. By the way, talking of travel, in October I shall again pack my suitcases to, God willing, visit some European countries in connection with the commemorations of the 85th anniversary of the Kindertransport and the infamous Kristallnacht, the beginning of the Holocaust. But more about that nearer the time. Finally, it seems to me that some of Israel's lawyers are on a permanent, exponentially increasing income by being involved in the court cases pending against our Prime Minister. How much longer do the citizens of Israel have to wait for a decision to know whether Prime Minister Netanyahu has committed criminal offences or if it is all a scheme to remove him from office? The bribery case centers on Amon Milchom, a millionaire film producer in Hollywood who was also an Israeli spy. On this disclosure, the U.S. withdrew his 10-year visa. His friend Netanyahu used his influence to get it reinstated. 
The prosecution alleges that Netanyahu received expensive cigars and champagne, according to one report worth $127,000, from Milchen and from James Packer, a friend of Milchen, over a period of 20 years, as well as jewellery for Netanyahu's wife Sarah, worth $3,100. Could that be considered as a bribe? even if Netanyahu assisted his friend Milton for 20 years? Would you not assist your friend if it is in your power? I also wish to be rich so that I could give expensive presents, wouldn't you? The Israeli public needs to know what's hidden behind all this. And with that thought, I end for today. Until next time, this is Walter Bingham, Wishing you a good and safe week with the hope that Am Israel will realize that Sinat Chinum, baseless hatred, will only bring disaster. Please do a good deed and visit your elderly neighbor. Goodbye.